Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend who's been a friend for several years, Rachel Grant. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Rachel, I'll just give a a little bit of bio about Rachel, and then we'll talk about what Rachel's going to share. In fact, I'll do that reverse. We're going to talk about just how to help uh, members that have questions. Many members have honest questions about our faith, and we don't sometimes have the best tools to create space for people to have questions. And I've learned then there's people outside the church that are safe for them to ask questions, but we need to learn to talk about difficult questions that are still faithful questions within the walls of our church and our family. And Rachel has great insights and tools how to do that. Rachel grew up in Cedar City. She um, got a philosophy degree from BYU in 2017. She works for a nonprofit, and she's the digital media manager in one of the nonprofit's um, groups or um, assets. Maybe that's not the right word. Is Saints Unscripted. That used to be Three Mormons. It's been rebranded to be Saints Unscripted. She served a mission in Spain, and she's the new mother. Um, She's married and had a little baby boy, has a little baby boy that was born late in 2020. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Is that okay for a bio? Yeah. Yeah. I think you got it. It's weird hearing mother, (laughs) but yeah. That is weird for the (laughs) first time. So kind of, um, let's start with just your background. Great. Yeah. So I grew up, as you said, in Cedar City and um, I have four brothers and my parents have both been stalwart members of the church. Um, And my dad actually has a degree in philosophy as well. So growing up, there was lots of uh, discussion about a variety of topics, but always sometimes some speculation about different things. And um, I don't know, because I grew up in that kind of environment, I feel like um, questioning was something that was okay. Um, but I know that that's very unique to my situation. And I eventually realized how unique that was. Um, but even then I did grow up in a very strict household, um, with, you know, strict rules for Sabbath day observance and everything else was, you, you, you go by the book, despite being able to question you still, you still go by the book. So, um, yeah, that was that was mostly how I was raised. And tell our listeners where you are in the birth order. I'm second of five, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. And I think that um, that environment of, of the strict environment, but also, you know, openness to questions um, made me, at least contributed to me being very, have a moral compass that was quite straight, you know, I would do exactly as the book was. And, and when I was called to serve a mission, of course, when they change the age, of course I go, um, of course I do everything exactly the way I think is obedient. Um, and it really took until my mission and, and getting to know people outside of the church to realize, um, all the goodness that there was outside and all the goodness that there was, I mean, inside as well, just, just how, how much God loves everyone for me to go, okay, I need to study how people, um, decide to stay and decide to leave and what the reasoning is there. So. And to share with our listeners, I think I've inferred this, just your station with the church. Are you active, not active in, out? Yeah, I'm quite active. Um, and I have been for, for, for a long time. So yeah, I've gone, definitely gone through faith crises. I think it'd be incorrect for me to say that I've I've stayed, um, while I've always attended church, there's definitely been times of question, especially because I study so much, um, of material that is contrary to the church. And so of course there's, there's questioning for sure, but I've always been active. Why do you study that material? So, um, I've been working this nonprofit that I work for. We create a lot of content to uh, give a voice, a more faithful voice to some of the questions that arise, um, especially on YouTube, because of all the content there is that is contrary to what the church believes, um, or at least the things that they teach. So a lot of the things that I'll watch a lot of videos that are produced by 
I mean, I hate to say anti-Mormon. I hate that term, but contrary to the church, I guess. And, or at least the beliefs of the church. And, um, after watching those, I then, um, create content, try and come up with content with my team. Of course, it's not a solo gig. I have an incredible team. We come up with content that, um, gives our side as far as from a faithful standpoint. Yes, we understand what's going on and this is what we believe. Um, and so there's been plenty of things that I just, I still don't understand. There's lots of messiness in the church so much, um, that that's hard to get past. And I get that. And I'm so sympathetic to that. Um, and like I was telling you before, um, I've, I mean, I am a straight, I guess I should say heterosexual female that's grown up in Utah. Um, that's, I mean, I haven't suffered any racial injustices, anything like that in the church that other people have. And they've, and injustices such that have, have made it so that they can't, they no longer want to affiliate with the church. And I get that, but also I don't get it enough because I'm not in that group. So I can say I'm sympathetic to it, but that I can only speak for, you know, my experience alone. So when we do these responses, it's not to say, Hey, all of you who have suffered these things, um, get over them and come back. It's to say, perhaps here's some thoughts that we have as members of the church, um, that are reasons why we stay despite, you know, any kind of messiness that there is. Are you glad you're aware of all the complicated issues or do you wish you had never sort of become aware of all the complicated issues? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I'm glad I'm aware uh, because I believe it's made me um, more understanding of other people and definitely has made me um, contemplate Jesus, the atonement of Jesus Christ better and his grace better. And um <sighs> I think that, I mean, there's definitely been, if you were to ask me in the moments when I was deeper into faith crises, these miniature faith crises, um, if I was grateful, I came across that information, I'd probably say, no, I could, I could do without this information, but, um, going through them after having overcome a lot of them, I think for sure, I'm, I'm glad that, and I'm also glad that there are people like my people on my team who will also go through these things so that we can, there can be a voice for, okay here's how we interpret what, whatever the messiness was and how we can still choose to stay, um, despite the messy, because I know that it's hard for so many to go through, um, these kind of miniature crises. And I think especially because a lot of these people are raised in this black and white, you know, you either, either you fully subscribe to the religion or you don't, which is so sad that, that there can't be, um, questioning and there can't be disagreeing with certain things that have happened, you know? Really good answer. Um, when someone hears faith crisis, will you just define that, what that means to you and in your life? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, I think what it is, is with my core beliefs, whenever they're called into question, um, and it's not something that I've considered the question. I haven't considered the question before and here it, it's come into my life. And usually without me seeking it, usually it's, it seems to pop up and I go, okay, wait, we, I believe this, or I'm part of an organization that believes this. Um, and suddenly it becomes, it almost shakes the entire foundation of what you believe. Um, which is difficult because you put so much, so many principles, so many feelings and emotions onto a core belief that is then shaken. Um, I almost feel like, and I haven't had parents that have been divorced or whatever, um, but I almost feel like it, it, the feeling has to be somewhat similar when um, your your parents or someone close to you, something that you love starts becoming rocky and you go, wait, this has been something that's a constant my whole life. How can this suddenly become rocky. What am I supposed to do with this information? It's too much. I, I, I don't want to address it. Um, and we don't really have a lot of tools to address it. And so it, and we expect people to, um, not question and to come out and to be okay and to n- not think about those things, which is also, you know, a whole different topic of 
difficulty to, to not even have to confront those things. But yeah, I'm with, I think we're in a lot of the same spaces. I have gone through a mini faith crisis as I've shared with listeners. I, it happened when I was a singles ward bishop. So I kind of recognized the narrative I'd heard about people like me didn't apply because I wasn't mm. sinning. I wasn't not reading my scriptures. Yeah. I, was, I was serving a lot. It was one of the most, you know, productive years as far as helping people under Christ that I'd had in my life since my own mission in England. But at concurrent with that in the mm-hmm. same body, I was having a mini faith crisis around some historical issues and some current issues. And it was very difficult yeah. and I've learned, but I've learned like you maybe feel that I'm glad it happened. I'll never be able to go back to the same black and white narrative, mm-hmm. but in a way I like somebody that framed it as falling upward. I don't look at it mm-hmm. as a step backwards in my spiritual journey and my relationship with the church. I don't think everybody needs to go through it. I'm not sure every personality is wired totally. to go through it and some, and I don't look at them differently. But for me, that's just part of my spiritual journey. But I've, uh, there's benefits, as you know, as I relate to people. I'm not yeah. fearful of people that have questions. I'm not surprised. I mean, you hear a question no one's ever asked. I, do you hear when you are researching content, do you find new content that you've never heard before? Or do you feel like you pretty much understand everything at this point? <laughs> I, I don't understand everything, certainly don't understand everything. And, and I'm, I'm sure there's arguments that I haven't heard yet, I'm sure. Um, but I, I do think a lot of the arguments that are made have a similar, at least the way they're presented, they're presented in a similar way from um, people that are perhaps attacking the church. Or even if they're accurate historical, I mean, there's a lot of accuracy in the things that people say that we feel like these people are attacking the church. There's, I mean, there's truth or else it wouldn't hurt and it wouldn't, uh, you know, cause us to question. But um, I do think that a lot of, as long as we're able to learn how to navigate those things, I think it's a similar navigation for each of the topics that come up. Um, But yeah, they're complex enough that it's a difficult navigation, but I, I don't know if there's... A significant amount that that might freak me out still to this day. And that's a I'm with you on that. I that's the way I feel. I don't know every story, but I don't I feel I know the general stories of our history and the yeah. current issues that I don't suddenly get surprised that oh that's something I've never heard before. Right. Um so and I think, you know, I'm thinking of your boy that was born in yeah. 2020 and you <laughs> and your husband as parents raising him and if you have more kids and the tools you have now and how you'll in an age appropriate way, probably do a lot of the good things your own parents did, but bring him the set of tools that he needs to navigate this. Totally. Um, in perhaps a more improved way, even than we did, I did as parents. I think that's one of the things that each set of parents, each generation does better. Talk about just kind of the cultural problem of questions just walk us through kind of the problem. Yeah. And I have my own philosophy for this, so I'm sure that this will evolve or different people will have different opinions about this. But I think, um, at least from what I've read historically, it sounds like um, it's not specific to the church, I don't believe. I believe it's um, at large, we've, we've lived in a society where you respect um, authority. And you respect, especially patriarchy, and you respect, you know, anyone who's above you. And 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 part of that respect means, unfortunately, means um, you don't question. And um, and I think that there's been people that have. I mean, I look at historical accounts of people who have questioned and have stayed in the church. So I know that there's a history of questioning, but I think that it's largely been um, discouraged. And again, I. I don't think it's specific to the church, though. Unfortunately, the church has been in that history. Um, and I think because of that, we haven't, we haven't been able to address some of the messiness because the, the thought is, well, you just need to believe, which not everyone has an inclination to believe. Like me, I feel like I was very blessed to have an inclination to believe, but I understand that 
that's not necessarily, you know, the path that everyone takes. Um, and especially coming from a, a, a dad and a mom who, who are more philosophical and have questions. Um, it's, it's been a little easier for me to question as well, but, um, but yeah, I think that if, if, like you mentioned, now that I'm raising a child with my husband, I, I have told my husband, you know, it'd be so nice to grant him this world where he can ask as many questions as he wants to and question what's the organizations and, um, just at large, not even strictly the church, but the institution, the organizations he's a part of, um, in order to make changes. And I think that that's also how the church is going to evolve is with people who have questions because it is run. I mean, the church is run by, or at least managed by, um, a lot of people who have grown up in that area of not quite arena of not questioning. Um, so it's, it's should be unsurprising that, that it hasn't evolved as well as it should have. Um, but it still can because a new generation of people who can question and hopefully stay faithful, (laughs) um, are upcoming. I don't know. If I'm a teacher, um, or a local leader, what can I do to create a culture where people know that they can ask questions around me? I love that. Um, and I don't know if I have the best answer for it, but I remember in Sunday school, I was living in Washington for high school and I had a phenomenal Sunday school teacher who really created this environment of Um, being able to question because I remember one time he asked me, he said, I want you to imagine a world in which the church is not true. And, and being the stalwart strict member that I was, I thought, I can't believe you'd ask me that. This is, you should be fired from your (laughs) calling. This should not be a thing. And I was angry and I went home angry. And I, I I believe I told my dad and, and he said, well, I mean, (laughs) just listen, see, see what you think from it. And I remember thinking, okay, if it was the case that the church wasn't true, um, how would the world be different? And, and it was so remarkable because I was able to, he, he was creating this, this, um, conversation that could happen of let's walk through how it can be true. And I don't know. And I think that him being open to us having questions and responding with kindness. And ultimately, I think that's, that's the way you can do it as a teacher is I knew that if I asked him anything, the response would be kind and the response would, wouldn't be shaming or, um, belittling or making me feel stupid for having the question. It was very much validating, um, which as a leader, if in any kind of organization, I think is incredible. Good answer. Um, sounds like a great teacher. Talk about parents aren't how they're not always equipped to handle difficult conversations. Yes. And I think this stems from what we talked about previously, um, just this history of, of not questioning. And I think about even my parents um, and their families growing up. I think that they came from families who, who couldn't necessarily, weren't open to questions. And so as, as their kids, they're not, they they haven't had to react to questions. Um, and so I think we can certainly, um, as parents, we can certainly have the tools now that there are questions to respond in kind and, and in a loving way, you know. Is it okay for a parent to, um, talk about their questions with their kids. Absolutely. Why? Yeah. I think that it creates a sense of, of trust. And I think that anytime that there's vulnerability between two people, um, there's also uh, connection. Um, and I think we've all felt that when we're open and vulnerable with a friend or a family member, suddenly you become more you become closer to them. <laughs> and I think as parents, it's vital. I'm okay. I only have a three month old, so I don't really know how to parent, but <laughs> I hope that, that my child can also know that I'm at fault. I have faults and there's definitely times when I've been wrong and they need to be 
aware of that so that together we can say, you know what, there's going to be times when we just, we, we evolve and we change and we grow. And yeah, I think it's important for sure. I love that. Um, I, I really agree with that. And I think I didn't understand that principle and maybe still don't, but I've tried to be more open with my kids about my own questions. Good. And cause I love the word vulnerability that you used and how that breeds connection and and if I'm vulnerable and honest at times in appropriate ways with my kids, then that I think creates space that they're more likely to be open with me. Yeah. If I do that as a teacher, a local leader, Elder Holland did it in his talk about his own emotional illness that created great, it took great vulnerability, but it creates connection. Yeah. And we destigmatize difficult topics when we talk about them in appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about if, can people ask too many questions? No. <laughs> but then again, I have a degree in philosophy. <laughs> I don't think there's an end to questions. Um, I do think that that certainly there's an element of faith that needs to be involved with what we do um, in the church. There has to be, there has to be faith. Um, so, yeah. And talk, of, and I agree with that. I think we just need to normalize questions. Talk about, you know, we, how living in a patriarchal society um, plays into this whole issue. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of what women have to say um, in regards to the way things are taught and the way things are run, there's a lot of um, love and mercy involved in that. And not to say that males can't be loving and merciful as well. I certainly believe that that both um, genders can have, you know, attributes of either. I don't think that they're, they're, um, limited, but I think that having multiple voices at the table allows, um, greater organization of love and kindness and mercy and all the things that are vital to creating a society of, um, strength and questioning and kindness, you know? Have you felt your voice is muted compared to men in our culture? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you, any examples for for us men to know when that's <laughs> happening and how we can do better? Yeah, and I think it's interesting being a member of the church um, as a female um, and, and having this kind of conversation because um, it is, I mean, from an outsider looking in, it is very much an organization of, of a, a patriarchal organization. Um, and, and I think one way we can do better is instead of talking to women, to talk with women, I feel like a lot um, in conferences or in leadership meetings, there's a lot of, we love you women, you women are wonderful, but it's talking to the woman still where it would, where I think that things would start changing when there was more of what do you, what do you think? What is your opinion? What can you, you know, contribute to this conversation? That's a subtle difference, but a big difference. Yeah. Just so I understand <laughs> that we talk when we love you, we need you. Someone might call that a platitude. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of checking a box, but you're wanting, that's okay, but it's not yeah. really going where you want to go. Talk, just again, tell us where we should go. Um, I think, I think having an equal voice of respect and talking with one another. And this includes, I mean, this isn't strictly for um, men and women. I think we also need to bring people of all affiliations to the table, people of different races, people of different sexual orientations, people from, you know, who affiliate differently than what we currently have the organization um, what it currently is. And I think once that happens, once we're able to talk with each other instead of to each other, um, we'll grow as God wants the church to grow and evolve. And which is a beautiful thing that the church can evolve. And, and it, it definitely points to Jesus Christ who shows this grace and shows this mercy and shows that people can evolve and that the church can evolve and that everything can evolve, which is so relieving to know that we're not stuck here. Do you feel um, we're making progress on this issue within the church. Yes. Yeah, I do. Um, Are there things that have happened that just say this is, 
we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. As far as the um, questioning and difficult conversations, I do think that the church is um, with different gospel topics, um, gospel essays and so forth that are on online and more available for people to read. I definitely think that we're going more into transparency, which I think is vital for the church to grow is for it to be transparent. Um, do I think it could be done faster? Absolutely. Um, so there's definitely room for us to improve a lot of room for us to improve. Um, so I think the speed would be concerning to a lot of people, including me. Um, but yeah, I think that the direction um, is getting getting on the right track. Thank you for that. And um, this is a, you know, I've spent more time sort of trying to understand LGBTQ than I have yeah. women within the church. And this uh-huh. is probably still a blind spot for me. Okay. Where I probably still need to learn. And I share that with listeners just to hopefully um, invite other male listeners that are active in the church to want to do yeah. what we can to um, value women's voices, to hear women's voices. Um, we were going to a training that Elder Ballard did, uh, probably a video we watched when I was a YSA bishop. And he, one of the things that he taught is in ward council, ask the women's opinions about men organizational issues. Hmm. Wow. Um, and I thought, cause the primary president in all the ward councils I've been to in my life until I heard that training was the primary president speaks about her organization. Then we moved to the elders quorum, mm-hmm. but he's trying to teach the principle of counseling together and we have better solutions. So if the elders quorum has an issue and I'm running ward council, what does the primary president <laughs> have insights that would help us as a ward council solve an elders quorum issue? Um, the elders quorum president came to ward council to receive the the chance to hear from everybody about specific issues. Mm-hmm. I think it's a little easier for the men to jump in when the primary president speaks and say, this is kind of an idea primary president. Yeah. But I think that's just, that was, that was very helpful for me just as, as a paradigm shift or just, wow, I've never thought of that. Yeah. And true, you know, and sure enough, the women off, they were shocked when I asked like the release study president to comment on an elders quorum issue. She goes, wait a second, this is not, yeah. it's not my space, but she had great insights. So I think that principle listeners, we could um, scale to lots of different situations where we may have not naturally sought women's insights into issues. Cause we may put them in a box and say, we're going to ask women their thoughts about these certain <laughs> subjects and all the other subjects we're going to ask men about. And I just, and I think, and I sure, I'm sure still do that, but I think when we counsel together and get everybody's voices and we are in a patriarchal society, so culturally we've been programmed to not do that. Yeah. But I like your point. Jesus probably would want us to do that. Yeah. And I think of Paul, the body of Christ, every part of the body of Christ is equally needed. Totally. So I think, you know, I like Patrick Mason's um, book where he talks about the restoration in the third century. And I think we've sort of built up the church structurally. Um, and I think we're in a position where we can tackle some of these issues and help us grow. And I think the way we've looked at growing sometimes is the amount of temples we can get worldwide. And I want that to continue to happen. But I think another way to the gathering of Israel, so to speak, and finding people is this, these kind of things that we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah. More comments on any of this, especially patriarch issues, women issues or questions. Yeah. I, um, I definitely think that a lot of, um, the reason why we believe at least women might be hesitant to comment on priesthood duties or the reason why or men, I should say male duties or, um, is because um, of, of the priesthood, which which I think because women assume, okay, well, they have the priesthood, so they have the the final say in some of these things. And so I probably shouldn't call it's It's almost as though the priesthood has um, been something that suppresses women's voices when really, if the priesthood is the power of God, I don't think that God wants it to be a suppression more than he, I mean, I think he'd rather it be lifting up the voices of 
everyone at the table. I love that. I just think that's such a faithful insight. Everything you've said is consistent Thanks. with the doctrine of our church. I hope listeners get that. We're just talking about how to improve the culture so more people can feel welcome. Yeah. And more people can feel their voices are valued. And I just think that's part of what we need to do. I totally agree. And we all need to look inward at times and say, is it I? And am I the one? And yeah. I know speaking for me, I, I, it, I don't know if this is a men thing, but I think men, it's harder to look inward and say, is it I? And it's harder. We like to talk and kind of have all the answers. <laughs> and it takes humility to just be willing to say, maybe it's me and maybe I'm the one that's muting other voices. And I think culturally we're taught to teach and talk and we value those attributes more than we value the softer attributes like listening. Totally. I've never been to a training meeting and I wrote uh -huh. this in my book where we talk you know, about how as a priesthood leader to be a better listener. Hmm. Never in my life. So unfortunate. Yeah. Um, huh. It's part of preaching my gospel, but I, I just think, and I'm talking right now about listening. It's kind <laughs> no, of you've ironic. been listening the whole time. <laughs> but I just, you know, I think that's something we need to do a lot better job of. And listening to people we may not, it takes, you have to develop a culture to get some people to talk because they're so used to right. not being valued or not feeling like their opinions are important or yeah and i've learned that everybody has really wonderful insights yeah i absolutely agree and i think that um because everyone like you said everyone has valuable insights and i think because everyone's relationship with god is so unique and so different um i think that that's another reason why it's so valuable to hear from different people is because i think a lot of the times we assume that everyone else has, if they're in the church, then they have the personal relationship that I have with God. And if they're out, then they have one that's opposite of what I have. When really every individual in your ward has a completely different relationship with God, as do children with their parents, you know? I mean, there's not one relationship that's the same. So I think that provides valuable, um, based on their relationship with God, that can provide valuable conversation as well. Not even male versus female, but person with God versus person with God, you know? <laughs> well, on this question thing, there's a couple statements that are a couple of my favorites. Um, th this is S. Michael Wilcox, one of my favorite Institute teachers. In some matters, it's better, better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. Mm -hmm. This will still leave us, leave us a great deal to be certain about by maintaining a humility to learn. And that's, and then Elder Uchtdorf in a 20, 20 worldwide training. And I'll just end, he has a longer quote here, but I'll just read the last part of it. We can block the growth and knowledge our Heavenly Father intends for us. How often has the Holy Spirit tried to tell us something we needed to know, but couldn't get past the massive iron gate of what we thought we already knew? <laughs> That's so good. So I think listeners of those massive iron gates, somehow I can just see them. Um, and they represent perhaps what I have you know, concluded without maybe doing due diligence on my conclusions. I call it the trap of unearned opinions. It's easy to develop the gate mm -hmm. with, it takes more humility to say, I'm not going to put this gate together. I'm not going to, um, yeah. until I go do due diligence by talking to women. If I want to know how women feel in the church, I probably ought to go talk to women, LGBTQ, blacks, etc. Talk about other thoughts in this third section we've kind of outlined ahead of time. Yeah, I think that, um, I think a lot of the time it's, it's like you said in that quote, it's imperative that we maintain um, humility when we come across these kinds of questions. And even though, I mean, study as much as we can with humility and, and we'll be able to learn a lot better. And I think that, um, when we don't approach things with humility, um, I think we've we've been living in this social media era of um, if someone endorses an organization or a political candidate or whatever it may be, if they endorse something that they subscribe to everything that person or that organization or whatever else believes, and therefore they're labeled as wrong or right, right? Um, but I think that as far as like, intellectually understanding things, we, we need to also understand that 
um, just because someone subscribes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints doesn't mean that they're, they necessarily um, agree with the injustices that have been done or the messiness or whatever else, but that there's room for us to say, okay, with humility, um, there could be room for them to believe and still have not subscribed to every, every detail. I like that. And it reminds me, Rachel, of um, Brene Brown. And I was reading some of her work where there's this line that says, either you're for us or you're against mm, us. Yeah. And that's a line I've been pretty comfortable with in my life. But she built some nuance around that and how that, you know, creates perhaps an unneeded divide in the sand, line in the sand um, yeah. with people we really don't need to say you're against us. Totally. Um, there just may be some differences, but actually there's a lot of common good. And often the greatest problems get solved when people with differences can come together yeah. with the things they agree on totally. to get stuff done. I look at some of the greatest accomplishments with our government, and it's often not just one party that thinks the uh-huh. same that gets everything done. It's when people can work together yeah. on complex issues. Yeah, and thank goodness for all the different opinions that there are. And thank goodness. <laughs> So anyway, I, you know, and I think listeners, I've also, you know, my whole life, I've heard this term cafeteria Mormon in a derogatory way, mm-hmm. um, sort of framing up somebody that's not fully committed, that just sort of, you know, chooses the things to believe in and, and other things they don't believe in. And I've become... I don't want to label anybody as a cafeteria Mormon because they may be sort of your point about belief. Some people may be doing the very best they mm-hmm. can. And their station as a quote unquote cafeteria Mormon may be where God had hoped they would be at this point in their life. And God is actually pleased with them. Totally. Um, and if I'm not a cafeteria Mormon, to look down on that person in a judgmental way may make their journey just harder within the church and more likely to step away. Yeah. Why God and Christ might be more loving to that person than I would be. Cause I may just be seeing him through my mortal eyes. Yeah. And I do agree with you, you know, the summit's given to know and some it's given to believe. And I think asking somebody that just is having a hard time believing something just to be more faithful or, somehow push a button inside of them to believe. Right. That may be helpful for some, and they may, through prayer and scripture study, and a, but most of the people that I've met with have been trying to believe about certain things for years. And yeah. often it's just more helpful to validate where they are versus give them a checklist things of things to change. Absolutely. Yeah. And that may lead into just more of your thoughts about the solution to help people with questions and help create a culture and help more people be able to stay in our church where they are. Yeah, I agree. And I think, I love that you brought up the cafeteria Mormon because (laughs) I remember growing up hearing, I think they would say like a buffet or something where you can't, you can't pick and choose or I don't know. I don't even know the analogy because I knew it was just so bad. (laughs) But I think that, um, I just think back to my mission and I'm sure a lot of people might roll their eyes about, you know, thinking back to that time, but there was a time when, um, when someone that we had been teaching had, um, she hadn't smoked for a full day and it was wonderful. We were just on cloud nine that she had gone 24 hours without smoking. And, um, and I just think about how everyone is on and, and, and it finally hit me. Wow. Like I haven't smoked my whole life and, and I don't know if anyone's on cloud nine that I haven't, you know, and I think, okay, clearly God, um, has, I mean, each individual is so different again, the relationship with God is so different and he's going to applaud your best effort and your best effort is going to be completely different than someone else's best effort. But, um, but I think that that's where the solution comes into play. I think that if we can, um, allow people to have different progression and different conversations with, with, um, where they're at spiritually. Um, I think that we can also give grace. If we can give grace to others, we can give grace to church leaders. We can give grace to our Bishop who might've offended us or, 
And this isn't to say that anyone who has been offended by a church leader should go and give grace to them right now. I can't speak for anyone's personal experience. So I'm just going to say that right now. But I do think that um, we can, we have the ability um, being, being children of God to give grace to people who perhaps have, who might've grown up completely differently and who might've, you know, I, I, I even think of church leaders that have offended me and where I've gone really, I don't know if I can go back. I don't know if, but then I think, okay, <laughs> I really hope people would afford me grace for some of the things that I've said in the past and some of the ways I have been. Um, and I think we can do the same and having that in mind, we can choose. And this is again, speaking for myself, really, I can choose to stay um, with that. Yeah. Talk about inoculation. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons why people leave is because they believe in a, I mean, they're told things are black and white and they're not given much information as far as the messiness in church history um, or any information at all. It's very much Joseph Smith had a vision of Jesus Christ and God, the father. And this is how, and, and the church was organized and the Bahorin came to pass. And here we are today. And there's, you know, there's definitely conversation in that, but there's not um, even just thinking about Murder Among the Mormons, the the Netflix series. There's not that conversation about Salamander Louder. There's not conversation about Blacks in the Priesthood. There's not conversation about polygamy, like all these things that really are part of our history. And I think um, because when people come across these things and believe in a black and white Mormonism, they suddenly go, okay, wait, what, what am I supposed to do with this information? Whereas if they were inoculated with, you know, a general understanding of this is what, this is part of the church history, then I think, I think more often there would be um, more grace given to choose to stay. And a lot of our audience on Saints Unscripted, just speaking for the channel, um, they're, they're uh, people who aren't members of the church, um, a significant amount. And they- That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's super fun. Um, And because of that, it almost gives me more incentive to create with my team to create content that is, here's the history of the church so that when they join and they hear things, they've already heard it. it, it it's not going to shake their testimony because when we just baptize blindly, like we did on the mission, <laughs> baptize blindly, then people come across stuff. It shakes them in a way that it shouldn't shake them. Agreed. I love that, Rachel. <laughs> I, and I love the role of saints and scripted. And it, it's really cool that this platform exists. That's part of a nonprofit. It's funded by private individuals. It's not funded by the church, I, I believe. Yeah. And for those of you that are in digital marketing, it creates, you know, people are searching for LDS and all these search terms out there. And to have your assets coming up and sometimes pushing the negative assets down on the search results is helping more people connect with faith promoting content. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And so I think it's a really wonderful thing. And I love the way you're taking on some of these more complicated issues. And I hope we learn to teach this as part of the missionary discussions and, yeah, um, and just, we may have to revisit just how we bring people in the church because it may take a little more time to teach some of this, to give them the foundation that they need. Um, to help sustain them as a member um, post-baptism. So I have great confidence that our senior leaders are revisiting a lot of the things because a lot of things are changing with mm-hmm. missionaries right now. Um, if we had a separate podcast of all the things that have changed for missionaries in the last couple of years, even without COVID, a lot has changed. Yeah. And I would assume that will continue. I'm grateful for Reed Blackburn, who is a listener and a seminary teacher here in Salt Lake City and was a seminary teacher for our youngest son, Ben. And Ben came home from seminary and talked about blacks in the priesthood. Mm -hmm. He talked about gays and Mormons and Mm -hmm. Reed showed him the Mormon website and talked about LGBTQ issues. And I was just so grateful that my high school junior, my high school senior son was in that environment being taught the more complicated issues of our church. And um, if you're a seminary institute instructor, teacher, instructor, if I'm using the right vocabulary, thank you for what you're doing um, in your roles to help build faith by talking about these issues. And I I think that there's, I'm really p- 
pleased with what I'm hearing, but I think it, sometimes I almost feel like seminary institutes are doing a better job of this um, than we as parents or even culturally within our wards are doing. Um, I think we're all familiar with Elder Ballard's comment to in a seminary institute training back, I think it was called CS, you need to know the essays like the back of your hand. Yeah. But I think that would apply to us as parents and us as local leaders and and so that we know that content, the church essays are approved by the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency and are great, you know, resources for us. More thoughts on the solution or anything else you want to share um, with our listeners, Rachel? Yeah, I think, I think, I, I think if I would say um, anything as like a final thought that, um, that I hope we come to a place where we recognize that everybody has comes from such unique backgrounds and there's no background that's the same as another. And because of that, when we come across difficult, um, history, this, you know, all kinds of things that might shake us, I think, um, granting these historical figures, the same grace that we would hope they would grant us, I think is so important when reading um, example, things from Brigham Young. There's been a lot of super controversial things that that can be very, you know, challenging as far as faith goes, or you name the topic. There's definitely things that um, might be shaking. And I think that um, if we can look at these historical figures with, you know what, they're, and not to say that what they did was correct. I'm not, I, I hope that, I, I hope that I'm not, it doesn't come across as me saying that they're excused for comments. But I do think that we can give a little bit more understanding and grace for these characters. And I think with that, we can really overcome some of the hard historical things and that we can create a better church moving forward with, with all of us just assuming that people are really, really trying and that they all have unique, completely unique circumstances that we will never understand the only person who does is Jesus Christ and thank goodness for that. And that he's a judge. Um, because we, I mean, we just, the only thing we can do is, is listen. That's correct. Share with our listeners, your testimony, what is unique about what in your testimony keeps you in the church? I'm, I'm glad you asked that. I think it's, it's probably been a while that I've been asked (laughs) with the uniqueness of my testimony, but um, I think more than anything, I know that God loves me and I know that he loves, um, which first of all is mind blowing, <laughs> um, especially thinking of, you know, the flaws that are the things that I've had to learn. And so, but knowing that he loves me and knowing that he loves all these people that, that I don't, I don't know. And I, I might make assumptions about, um, because I know that I know that he would create uh, an organization that I can I can feel the spirit and that I can um, learn of his doctrine through the Book of Mormon and through the Bible and um, the writings of prophets and and different leaders and female leaders and you know all the voices. Um, I know for sure that he wouldn't leave me in the dark, and because of that, I choose to stay. Um, because I know that he loves his children. That's great. How do our listeners um, find Saints Unscripted? Yeah, so we're on YouTube. Primarily, that's our biggest platform. Um, We're on Instagram and Facebook. um, And we have different groups on Facebook, depending. We have Saints Unscripted for missionaries, Saints Unscripted for new members, Saints Unscripted for converts, or for, um, for new, like people that aren't members of the church, but are new to the church. Um, so anywhere. <laughs> I will link to Saints Unscripted okay. listeners in the podcast description, but it's great content and I encourage you to check it out and share it with others. Um, I'm grateful for all the work that your nonprofit is doing. One of my close friends is involved with your organization and there's a lot of wonderful people in the world doing a lot of wonderful things. And so Rachel Grant, it's been great to have you on the podcast. It's a beautiful spring day. We're recording this and we're kind of getting hopefully to the end of COVID. So we're feeling a little more hope. We've got a lot of work to do on a number of fronts, but um, thanks for the work you're doing. I look at this little boy that came into your 
Allman. You know, people, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody that uh, maybe had a new grandchild born and was kind of full of fear about that grandchild in this world. But, you know, I think your little boy has been born at the very best time that he could ever be born. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I look at the progress we're making in so many areas in the world. Um, there's some things that are harder. There's more divisiveness. Um, but I, I think this is the best time to be born. Yeah. And to be born to a mom and a dad who love them and have the tools and the, and the heart and the perspective and the relationship with their Heavenly Father. I think this little boy, and this is me speaking for all the little boys that are born and little girls that are born right now. I think it's a great time to be born. And I think you younger parents are great parents. And even though you may be worried how you're going to afford all this and, um, and some of the fears you have, I think you'll just know how to do this. And I think I love Elder Bednar's talk about fog and you just kind of take a step in the fog and usually, you know, the next step to take. And that's been true of my journey. When we started to have kids, we wondered how this is going to work out. How are we going to afford this and all that stuff. And, that can lead to a fair amount of anxiety. Anxiety is about the future, but hang in there. <laughs> but I just think it's a great time to be born. Yeah. And maybe one of the, now you're getting, I'm talking a little bit more than I used to. No, now. I love this. <laughs> but I just, I also think one of the greatest miracles of has, has occurred in my lifetime with the development of the coronavirus vaccine. Mm-hmm. And we have prayed as a church and as a world in the early part of 2021 um, that we'd have a miracle. And I have, I consider this a miracle, listeners. And I know there's some people that are hesitant about vaccines, and I don't want to get political on you, but I just feel this is a miracle. And lives will be saved because this vaccine in Utah today, it was announced that every adult in next week is can have access to the vaccine. And I just think that's a miracle. When I was aware of coronavirus last March, I knew that a vaccine would be kind of the thing that got us to the finish line. I actually thought in my mind, I would probably get that in September of 2021 based on everything I knew. And I got my first shot in early March. So I just consider that a miracle. And I, so I just think it's a great time to be alive. We have challenges, but I think we're learning to take the principles that Christ shared in the New Testament in particular and use that to bring us together as the same human family. So um, this is Rachel Grant and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 